Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. This is an extremely profound verse. It communicates the very essence of the Christmas message. And it is vitally important that you understand its ramifications for your own life. One of our biggest problems is that we do not understand the big story in which we find ourselves. And if we don't understand how things went so terribly wrong at the very beginning in the garden, then we will find ourselves battered by life and confused by what is happening to us and around us. For example, why do we feel disappointed or insecure or lonely or restless? Why do we sometimes feel so empty? Why do we want something more than what we have? Why do we want to feel better than we feel? Why do we long for a more perfect and happier life? Perhaps the most important thing the Christmas story can do for us is to awaken us to the big story of life. If Christ came, we must answer, why did he come? What was wrong with us that required him to come? If the birth of Jesus means such great joy, why does it mean such great joy? What does his coming solve for us? How does his coming affect me, my thoughts, my purpose, my emotions here now in 2020? How does his coming fix me or heal me and save me? What does he save me from? Why do I need someone to save me? Well, the prophet Isaiah gave a powerful summation of our desperate condition and the massive relief that Jesus would bring to our hearts. I quote again Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now this passage, which is probably fairly unfamiliar to a lot of us, is just before a much more familiar set of verses, in, also in Isaiah 9, obviously. For to us, a child is born. A, for to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Those verses tell us about who Jesus is and what he will do. Isaiah 9-2, our passage, tells us or starts by telling us who we are and what our condition is. We are people walking in darkness. We are or we were all part of the human condition living in the darkness of sin and shut out of God's good and loving presence. 
But the effect that Jesus brings to people walking or living in darkness is they see a great light. A great light has dawned upon them. Jesus himself said when he came into the world, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. And this is the, the very essence of the Christmas story or the Christmas message, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now this prophecy by Isaiah had a very specific fulfillment which is really kind of amazing. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning. But Isaiah 9 verse 1 said, There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people living there are going to see a great light. That's the context of this verse. And Matthew 4, 16 says that when Jesus came into Galilee, he fulfilled this promise from hundreds of years ago in the book of Isaiah. That the people in that spiritually dark place, Galilee, saw a great light, who was Jesus. But of course, it was not only people living in Galilee who lived or walked in deep darkness. The whole world walks in darkness, or the whole world is living in darkness, and Jesus is the light of the whole world. He is the light coming in to the world. Jesus did not come into a Disneyland kind of planet where we pretend that everything is perfect, everything is happy, and everything is bright. He came into this very real world where people are sinful, where people are living in darkness. He came into a world where lives are broken, where families are not picture perfect, where marriages are not picture perfect. He came to people alienated from God, lonely, to people lonely for God, even if they don't know it, and disconnected from God. He came to people who experience sorrow and gloom and grief. He came to people walking or living in deep darkness, as Isaiah said. And this darkness began in the Garden of Eden, and it that's, I started out by saying it's just so important that we understand this big story in which we find ourselves or we're going to live in confusion about life through, through our whole life. This darkness began in the Garden of Eden. God created us for, for union, for friendship, for intimacy with himself. And when Adam rebelled against God, this intimate friendship with God that he had enjoyed was broken and the deep darkness that's described by Isaiah that people live in is the absence of this close friendship and communion with God. A writer by the name of Dick Staub said, our, our one story, and one story only, is the narrative of our loss of God and longing or need, desperate need to get back to God. The story of the human race 
from creation to the birth of Jesus is the story of how sin has ruined and bent and broken our lives and put us out of communion with our Creator. Something went terribly wrong with our hearts and with the whole world when Adam and Eve sinned. It says that they were expelled from the garden and we don't live in a Garden of Eden world anymore. We live in a broken and fallen world. And we see it. We see it in the conflicts and the wars of history. And we have felt it in ourselves, in our, in our own struggle with anger or pride or our tendency to, to complain in envy and strife with others in our insecurities and our fears. All that is hard and painful about life, all the, all the sense of loneliness and insecurity and separation from God stem from the original sin in the garden. And so death and loss and pain are a part of this life because we no longer live in the garden. We no longer live in a perfect World. A.W. Tozier said, Adam destroyed the proper creator-creature relationship in which his true happiness lay. So, among other things, Adam and that original sin destroyed our real happiness and, and joy. But sin not only damaged our happiness and our wholeness, but it brought us under the judgment of God. As it says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. And when sin entered the world, death entered into the world. And with no Christ, without Christ, with no Jesus, we would be destined to live broken lives here and now and then go to an eternity without God and under the wrath of God. That's, that's how dark and despairing life would be without Jesus, with no Jesus. And if we do not know that this is our story of, of which we are a part, if, if we do not know that this is the story in which we are a participant, if we, if we don't see that this is our story, we will constantly try to fix ourselves and to fix life by things that do not get at our real need. If you still think that your human pain, that your brokenness, your sadness, your sin flows merely from bad luck or bad upbringing or bad genes or bad chemistry, or bad circumstances, you'll be looking for something that can fix those things and Jesus will not be much of an answer for you. But if you know the story, if you know what went wrong, if you know what the problem is, if you truly understand that, that your personal brokenness and sadness and inner dissatisfaction is caused by broken union and friendship and fellowship and nearness with God, 
then Jesus is the best news you could ever hear because he solves all of that. So the first work of God in our hearts is to make us aware that we need something more than we have. The first work of God in our hearts is, is to create thirst. It's to, create, it's to help us see how desperate we are. It's to create a sense of need within us. God reveals himself to those who see that something is wrong. Not only wrong with the world, but wrong with them, wrong with you. God reveals himself to those who see that, that something is missing. Again, not just out there in the world, but in us. God reveals himself to those who hunger and thirst for more, who realize the darkness of life without him. But one of the, the strange things that, or the strange ways that sin, that sin has warped people is that most people are insensitive to their sad and ruined state. I mean, it's just, it, it's, people's lives can be so messed up, they can be so, so dark, living in such darkness, and yet they think, Oh, I'm okay. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. That is an effect of the fall as well. Dick Staub said, uh, among the side effects of our dehumanizing disease is a euphoric sense of wellness even as we waste away in our illness. Man, that is so, so powerful. And it's just what Jesus said. Jesus said, If you were blind, then you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, or we're okay, your sin remains. It is not healthy people who need a doctor, but the the sick. I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus said, "If, if you think you see, if you think you're, okay, if you think you're doing just fine without God, then he said, I can't do anything for you. He can't, he can't heal us. He can't heal our brokenness until we are awakened to our desperate need of him. The name of Jesus is music to the sinner's ear. It is mournful broken hearts that rejoice in Jesus. It's people who realize that they are in darkness to whom Jesus is a great light. Now, this attitude of desperate need is is not just for those who need to come to Christ for the first time. We must recognize our need to continually feed our souls upon Christ, to continually drink from Him, to draw from His Spirit, every moment so that we may have victory over sin and learn to love people and love God and serve him and have joy and peace in our hearts. It's like we, we either walk in Jesus, or excuse me, we either walk in darkness or we walk in Jesus in the light. And many people feel that they only need Jesus to get to heaven 
but don't need him for much else. But it was, it was to church people that Jesus said, you say, I am rich, I have po- prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. We need Christ, and we need to walk with him in this dependent relationship, always drawing from him, always walking in the light so that we are not overcome by the darkness. As it goes on in that passage in Revelation, we are to throw open the doors of our heart to Jesus every day or as a continual disposition to Jesus. We, we continually open up our heart or have our, the doors of our heart open to Jesus. He, he wants us to experience Him living in our hearts and for us to fellowship with Him and find great joy in Him. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He told us to abide or to remain, to live in Him. And as we do that, we receive what we need for joy and peace and love and to live a life fruitful for God. It is abiding in Jesus, walking in Jesus that expels darkness. It is abiding in Jesus that sin is overcome and our brokenness is healed. So Jesus dispels our darkness. We said earlier that darkness is is the absence of the presence of God and this friendship and intimacy and communion with God. Well, Jesus dispels our darkness primarily by bringing us back to God, by bringing us back into communion with God. The experiential nearness to God that was lost in the garden was restored to us in Jesus. You you go back and read that story and how they walked and talked with God and God was near to them and talked with them. That kind of intimate communion and friendship was lost, but it's restored to us in Jesus. He reinstates not only nearness to God, but happiness in God that was lost in the garden. So he came to heal us, to bring us, by, by bringing us near to God, by bringing God near to us and us near to God so that we could know and enjoy God. And I want to just mention a few ways that Jesus is a great light to us. This passage says that those, the people there in, in darkness saw a great light. And you know what? We could go on for, for years <laughs> talking about Jesus is a great light. I just want to cover a few things so we, to, to, to bring a little bit of, of concrete understanding to uh, Jesus being a great light or, or seeing Jesus as a great light. Jesus is a great light because he dealt with the darkness of our guilt and our shame before a holy God. He saved us from the darkness of God's judgment hanging over us for our sin. He took our sins away from us and bore them himself. That's, and that's the heart of the Christmas story. The, the angel told Mary, or, or to, actually told Joseph, I think. I think I got that wrong. But you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Jesus is a great light to us because he puts his own life in us with new desires for God and a new passion to love God and serve God and please God. We were dead and he made us alive. We were empty and he poured his spirit into our hearts. Again, Jesus said, he who follows me will have the light of life. In other words, those who follow me will have me, the light of life, living in them. I mean, to be a Christian, the very most basic understanding of being a Christian is to have Christ living in you. And he himself dispels our darkness. Jesus is a great light to us because he destroys the power of sin in us and over us. First John 3, 8, and 9, I think Josh quoted this last Sunday. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, in other words, the reason Jesus was born, the reason that Jesus came was to destroy the devil's work. What did he just say the devil's work was? Sinning. No one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed, Christ abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Sin is darkness. Paul said, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The light and the life of Jesus in us is so mighty that John says we cannot continue living in sin or cannot, we cannot continue living in darkness because the power of the light of Jesus is so brilliant and so powerful within us. Jesus is a great light because he is the cure to all that is wrong with our lives due to the fall and the resulting curse. And we could go on and on and on here, but I picked out Isaiah 61 where it says that Jesus will bind up our broken hearts. Broken hearts are a result of the fall. Jesus promises that he came to bind up our broken hearts. I mean, he, he came primarily to fix our sin problem, to remove our guilt, take our sins, restore us to God. But in doing so, in doing that, he fixes all this other stuff that's wrong with us. He came to bind up our broken hearts. He says he will give us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He, he makes something beautiful and good out of our lives instead of something that's just burnt to a crisp and ruined by fire. He gives us joy instead of mourning. I mean, mourning is a, is a, is a result of the fall. I mean, the reason of, of, of sadness and gloom and mourning is because of the fall. He gave us joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So Jesus is the answer to all the longings and the cry in your heart for, for wholeness and for joy. Jesus is a great light because he fills our hearts with hope. For, for us to whom Jesus has come, for us who know Jesus, the darkness is past, the light of Jesus is here, the hope that we lost in the beginning is restored to us in Jesus. We've been saved from our sins. Our sins are all paid for. We're on our way to a good and glorious future 
with great joy with him forever. And that is something called hope. And through Jesus, we have hope. We have no dread of the future, no dread of condemnation, no dread of anything that can happen. We have a confident, bold, and certain expectation of good in the days ahead. And for all eternity, as David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me every single day of my life and I will dwell in the house or the presence of the Lord forever and ever. And so this mercy and goodness is going to pursue me forever, for all eternity. That's hope. That's something called hope, and it comes only through knowing Jesus. Hope, hope is not a, obviously it's not a material thing. It's not something you can hold in your hand. But it is one of the most valuable gifts that you could ever have, and Jesus gives you the gift of hope. The difference between a person who has hope and one who does not is huge. So Jesus is the most precious and beautiful gift ever given. He is called God's unspeakable gift. It is this glorious hope that caused the the prophet Zechariah to say, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice greatly. Shout. Rejoice. It was this hope that caused the angel to say, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It was this joyous hope that caused the wise men to travel a long ways to bring gifts to the newborn king. Martin Luther said, people know how to rejoice when they are given a Christmas gift. But how many are there who shout and jump for joy when they hear the message of the angel, to you is born this day the Savior? Indeed, Luther goes on, the majority look upon it as a sermon that must be preached. And when they have heard it, they consider it a trifling thing and go away just as they were before. And God save us from that happening to us. Luther continues, when I can say, this I accept as my own because the angel meant it for me. If I believe it in my heart, I shall not fail to love the mother Mary and even more the child and especially the father. Luther continued, For if it is true that the child was born of the virgin and is mine, then I have no angry God and I must know and feel that there is nothing but laughter and joy in the heart of the father and no sadness in my heart. For, what if, for if what the angel says is true, then he is our Lord and Savior, and what can sin do against us? I agree with Luther. You must take this for yourself. And until you do, it's never going to stir your heart. It's never going to change your attitude. It's never really going to change the way you live your life throughout the day. You must take it for you in such a way that it 
matters to you. And if it matters to you, it will produce joy. It will produce hope. And that really changes everything about life. And so in one sense, every day we should wake up. And one of the things that I get concerned about, about you know, focusing so much on these Christmas messages only at Christmas is that somehow people think, well, it's just kind of associated with the season and something we, we do. But really we should wake up every day and say, Jesus has come. And that changes everything. It changes everything for me that Jesus has come. It changes my outlook on life. It changes my attitudes today. It changes myself. It changes everything about my thoughts. We were in darkness that's what Isaiah said. That's what this prophecy said. We were in darkness. We sinned. We fell. We got broken. Uh, Jesus comes to us as a great light. He forgives. He restores us to the Father. He heals our lives. But the question that I have for you this morning, the question that came to my mind as I was meditating on all of this, and I think it's a question for all of us. It's this. Do you want to get well? You know, Jesus came to that, that person who was sick um, in John by the, by the pool, and Jesus said, do you want to get well? He's provided everything to make you well and whole and to restore you to God, to intimacy with God, do you want that? And it really comes, comes down to that. Jesus paid it all. The price has been paid. He, he, did, he did all the suffering. He did all the work. He accomplished the work the Father gave him to do. He did all the work to make this possible, to, to do all this re- restoration in our broken lives. Do you want that? Are you, are you content kind of keep living half in darkness and spiritual sickness and brokenness or do you want the radical restoration to wholeness that Jesus came to accomplish in your life do you want the whole package or you you just kind of want to take the ribbon off and and not really get the whole thing Do you want to be forgiven and assured of heaven? And beyond that, do you want to be released? I think most of us say, yeah, we want to be forgiven and go to heaven, right? Okay. But do you want to be released from actual sinning in your life? In Corinthians, Paul talked about let's cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. And I thought of that. Jesus came to do that. Do you want to be released from sins of the body and sins of the spirit and sins 
of the heart and sins of the attitude? And, and do you want to live life, not perfectly, but substantially released and living free from the power and domination of sin and loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving others as yourself. That's the kind of total healing that Jesus came to make in our lives. Are you, are you content with a, a, a non-existent or just kind of a partial or superficial relationship with God? Or do you really want to know God and to be filled with all the fullness of God and live life with God and in God's presence? Jesus paid it all to bring you into that kind of intimate friendship with God. Jesus suffered his wounds for us to experience that kind of healing. Well, there was massive amount of joy around the birth of Jesus. I mean, every song that we sing about Christmas talks about joy. Uh, whether you read the story of Zacharias or uh, the angel coming to Mary or the song of Mary, which we read in our bulletin, uh, or what the angels said or what the prophets announced about Jesus coming, just, it's just filled, it's just saturated with massive joy. And there was joy surrounding the birth of Jesus because Jesus is the answer to this massive suffering and brokenness and darkness that we human beings lived in. And that all originated from when our first parents rebelled against God in the garden. As I was thinking about this, just the massive joy in the, in the prophecies, and I, I was particularly struck by um, the one in Zechariah where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout! Rejoice, your king comes to you. Um, th there's just such an exhortation to be happy, greatly happy about Jesus' coming. And it recalled uh, to mind something that I, I had just read about in a book recently, and I enjoy history, and, uh, but it really deeply communicated to me this joy that we can have and should have in Jesus. On, on May 8th, on May 8th, 1945, celebrations broke out around the world and people danced in the streets. They sang, they hugged, they rejoiced. There were ticker tape parades, church bells rang in small towns and in big cities. In Holland, uh, Dutch civilians joyously swarmed Canadian troop convoys, throwing flowers and sometimes knocking men from their tanks in the enthusiasm to thank them. People too sick to walk were often carried outside to join in the celebration. In Belgium, the old buildings of Brussels were illuminated by fireworks, spotlights, and bonfires as thousands thronged the streets. Thousands gathered 
in New York Times Square. What, what am I talking about? What do these people celebrate? It was VE Day, victory in Europe. The Nazis had agreed to unconditional surrender. The war was over. Uh, these people had been through so much suffering and war for six years, and they were desperate for relief and victory. And when it came, there was just an outburst of joy. They celebrated in the streets when it was over. They danced in the streets on VE Day. And it just made me ask, what should we do about Jesus? You know, I, mean, I really believe our joy should be unrestrained. It's, Peter talks about it, unspeakable joy. We talked about it yesterday, it's exceeding joy. It's not just joy. It's exceeding joy that Jesus has come. And uh, may God open our eyes to what he, what he did for us. First, I think we have to see how dark things would be without him. And then we see what what powerful and massive answer he is to us. One of the prophecies that just comes to my mind, I don't even know where it's at, but he's, maybe it's in a song. Somebody can straighten me out here that knows, maybe knows the Bible better than I do, but uh, he's risen with healing in his wings. I think it's actually part of a hymn, but uh, he's, he's risen with healing in his wings. I mean, Christ comes to, to be light in darkness. He's come with healing for us. The gospel is good news. Jesus is a, is a great light. And so, you know, I invite you, maybe some, someone, maybe some here for the very first time, just invite you to come to Jesus. He paid it all. He suffered and died to heal your wounds, to pay for your sins, to make you whole, to bring you to God. All you have to do is come to him. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, I will not turn him away. I will not cast aside or turn anyone away who wants to come to me. If you want this, you can have it. Come freely. Come freely. It's for you. And maybe you've been, been a Christian, a church person for a long time, uh, but you're just kind of uh, nibbling around the edges on all that God has for you. You know, I call you to, I call you to, to seek to enter into all that God has for you. Search it out. Let him come and satisfy you more fully. Let him feed your soul more richly, more deeply than you ever thought possible. And he can do that. He came for that purpose. And that's the reason we rejoice in him. All right, let's stand and pray.